The presenting sponsor for EgoCheck with the DM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a 501c3 research and human services nonprofit charitable 100% volunteer-run organization. They provide music and role-playing game research. They provide community programs, and they're all using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. Uh, they're working with individuals with ADHD, anxiety, other at-risk populations, brain injuries, and depression, impulse control, mental health issues, social phobias, social skills development, and substance use dependency. RPG Research is an open international community sharing, studying, and providing accessible and inclusive collaborative music and games to help improve people's lives. To find out more about this organization, you can find them online at rpgresearch.com. Once again, that's rpgresearch.com. to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me this week is Elizabeth DeClear. Hello. Hello. Yes. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk with you here today. You are currently uh, running a Kickstarter campaign for Let's Play Dungeons and Dragons Behind Bars. And That's for right. those who are not aware of who you are, you're an award-winning uh, documentary producer, director, with experience creating content for Netflix, BBC, Vice, National Geographic. And recently you've been doing quite a few things in the genre of true crime, interviewing a lot of inmates, members of the law enforcement community. And within the last couple of years, I believe there's been a focus on the rehabilitative impact of Dungeons and Dragons uh, with Correct. inmates and prisoners. And that's what this documentary, if you are successful, will be about. And you've written some articles about this for Vice in the past. So it's a topic that touches on a lot of things that I'm interested in. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. So thank you for your time. Likewise. It's a joy to be here. So I guess backing up a little bit, because you have quite a background, kind of interest in technology and science. I think you worked with Google for quite some time. How did the true crime element come up as an interest for you? That's an interesting question. So about uh, 10 years ago, I was working in more in technology. Uh, my background is, is as an anthropologist. So I'd been working with companies to try to understand the way people use products and services using videography and interviewing in order to understand their experiences working with products. And that was actually back in Chicago. And then I moved to California and was looking for a job and happened to meet a document, happened to meet a documentary filmmaker who uh, was looking for people, um, actually a small production company was looking for people to come on board as true crime researchers. And um, they said, you know, you have the videography skills, you have the interviewing skills, why don't you give this a try? And so that was actually my entry into making film documentary films. And the interesting thing was, you know, true crime at the time was a genre that was just beginning to take off. It's now become one of the fastest growing genres in television. 
previously unknown networks like Investigation Discovery are now household names. Um, you have like whole uh, millions, of, millions of people who consider themselves like ID addicts or ID fans. Um, and so basically what happened is I got on board with these crime or true crime and criminal justice documentaries fairly early. And then once I developed the skill set to do that kind of documentary, it, um, I was just getting offered more and more jobs in that area. And I think, you know, one of the challenging things about that particular genre is that um, the material is just so heavy. I mean, the act, the right. final documentary, it can be kind of sensationalized or whatever, formulaic, but the actual experience of working on it, you're having hours, sometimes multi-hour long conversations with people who have who are victim, family members, friends or family members of people who have been killed, who are law enforcement, who have witnessed horrible things, and then sharing those photos and those stories with you. And then also talking to um, the people who have actually committed the crimes behind bars. And so it's very heavy stuff and a lot of – and there's a high turnover rate of producers in that genre because people are just um, – it just weighs them down. It's the stuff they don't like to carry home with them after work every day. Um, and they'd rather move on to something – lighter and fluffier and more fun or more reality. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it because I felt like I was having meaningful, real conversations with people about things that actually had transformed their lives, either, either for the better, or for the worse, but still real, impactful conversations and painful conversations. And that felt more real to me than anything else I could be doing. Um, so actually, I enjoyed working in that genre and then just have continued with it. Um, the change I've made in the last few years is going from these more sensationalized television shows to working on independent projects where there is a greater social good or there is something, um, there's a message that I feel or a story that I feel needs to be told or that other people would benefit from. That's great. And to be, to get right into the, the real kind of uh, topics, you know, we were going back and forth a little bit before we were scheduling a time for this discussion and mm -hmm. I had disclosed a little bit of my background being the, the victim of a crime. So my father was a state trooper. Uh, he was shot and killed in the line of duty while he was executing a drug raid. This is back in the eighties. And, you know, I've always had this perspective of being a survivor. It's just kind of mm -hmm. part of part of my identity. This happened when I was eight years old. And so I carry that with me, and I also carry with me my current identity as a psychologist of, you know, some of the individuals I meet with in that role are former offenders of mm -hmm. sometimes violent crimes, and more of the goal there is rehabilitation, reintegration, uh, trying to help these individuals move forward. So it's in this hobby as a, as a podcast person, I'm kind of straddling a little bit of both worlds, and I checked in with uh -huh. you about just some of the logistics of the conversation we have, what would be okay grounds to discuss, because I do think this documentary could hit some, maybe some buttons people are not aware of, like, oh, mm -hmm. these prisoners are playing a game. Like, is that okay? Are we okay with that? Or these are violent offenders and now they're about back out in the community playing Dungeons and Dragons. What does that even mean? So I'm very mm -hmm. interested to get into those topics, but I appreciate your willingness to, talk with me ahead of time about some of those things. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit that when you um, shared some of the background about yourself, I realized it was going to be a more challenging conversation, but actually a more interesting one, potentially. With, That's my hope, yes. Um, <laughs> and as, as with a background as an anthropologist, you know, I'm not coming to this film with an agenda. It's not like a rah-rah, inmates' rights, or, or, or something like that. It was more, I approach this topic as, 
well, this is something interesting I'd never heard about before. I want to see what it's all about. And then the sort of the maybe the pro kind of D and D is therapy angle came about really through observation, through having hundreds of conversations with different inmates as well as different correctional officers about the impact this game was having on many inmates who are incarcerated across the country. And so it really wasn't, I didn't want to make it like, I didn't have that agenda going into it, but it sort of emerged as the theme um, and the pattern in what I was hearing. And again, this started off not even as a documentary, as a research project. And once I'd gathered enough research, it became an article. And then once I'd written a couple articles, it became a 10 minute documentary. And then now it's, uh, you know, each, each, different stage has revealed new stories or revealed new sagas in this exploration on the topic. And the 10 minute documentary that people can go watch that now on vice, correct? Absolutely. Yep. And that's, is that the uh, dragons in the department of corrections? Yeah. I think the, the name uh, vice gave to ultimately was escaping prison with dungeons and dragons. Okay. And then that, and that's on YouTube on the vice YouTube channel, as well as, um, the Vice website, and it was produced by Waypoint, which is their gaming division. Which I, I watched, and it's really fascinating because it's a lot of things that, you know, I've interviewed various members of the tabletop role-playing game community who are using D&D to help uh, young children develop skills, uh, develop social skills, uh, working with children along the autism spectrum, or even working with adults to teach various social skills and other types of social benefits. So it, it makes sense to me that this would mm -hmm. be something that would be a, a worthwhile endeavor. How did you first hear about this? In a Dungeons and Dragons game myself, <laughs> okay. actually, about three years ago or three or four years ago, I was playing and the dungeon master of my game, again, the nothing to do with prison was a dungeon master of my game. He's like, Hey Liz, uh, this friend of mine from childhood, he um, recently called me from prison and we talked for an hour. And like in the middle of the conversation, he mentioned that he'd been playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that really sparked my interest. Like how do inmates even play this game? And, right. you know, and then he's like, well, maybe you should investigate it because you're a true crime producer. Plus you play D&D. So you're kind of the ideal person to dig into this and see if there's a story there. And so he put me in touch with this friend who is Mel, uh, Mel uh, Willie Bay, who was um, featured in the Vice documentary. Yes. And then Mel and I started exchanging letters and Mel would share these long stories, these sort of, sort of epic stories of what his what the, his character had done in the game. And then just the his feelings about the game and his feelings about identity, his own identity that had emerged through playing these different characters. Um, and I realized, you know, how much more there was to this game for the people in his gaming group that it wasn't just about like fantasy escapism as a way to avoid the reality of um, uh, the sort of grim reality of their lives, but they were actually learning things and gaining things from it and working through difficult emotions and trauma that they had. And so that piqued my interest. And then that, that's actually what sparked the first vice article. And then as a result of that article, which kind of went viral and was like on the front page of Reddit and um, was shared around, people started writing to me and saying, Hey, I saw your article. Um, did you know people are playing RPGs in Florida as well? Are people playing RPGs in California as well? Um, or here, let me show you the story of what happened to me when I was in prison. And I realized, whoa, this is way more ubiquitous than I realized. It's not just this one gaming group in Colorado. This is everywhere. 
and then, yeah, and then, I mean, it just kind of exploded from there. People posted it on Reddit, and then they'd be, there were these long forums of um, people just volunteering their stories um, and their experience playing behind bars. And then I started reaching out to some of them and accumulating this large body of um, research and story and direct anecdotal accounts of, of what it was like to play. And so with the, the Kickstarter campaign, which has a, a few days left now, if people are interested to, to check that out, one, where can people find that? And two, what would them backing it help you do? Right. So they can find it. It's on Kickstarter. It's called Let's Play Dungeons and Dragons Behind Bars. Um, we also have a website, which is rpgdoc.com. This is rpgdoc.com. And that has a link to the Kickstarter campaign as well. So for this project, um, I wanted to do it as an indie project because actually because I first tried to pitch it to various Hollywood contacts as a as a documentary series or um, or even as a standalone documentary. And a lot of the people I pitched to absolutely loved it. But they said, let's just make this a, re- a prison reality show where D&D is one aspect, uh, one weird aspect of the lives of these inmates. Um, and that was the that's what pretty much everyone was saying. They said our audiences are not this is too niche for our audiences. We want something more mainstream that would appeal to housewives that are sitting at home or just just ordinary people. And I started to realize that my audience, an audience for a documentary like this is really a, the gaming community. Um, and also, you know, people who are interested in social justice. And I mean, of course, the themes are big enough and broad enough to appeal to everyone. But I wanted it to be something that really dug deep into all of the these really heavy themes that employed some more kind of cinematic techniques like some magical realism to try to tell the story and the only way I was going to be able to do that was to do it as an independent project and so up until now I've just been self-financing it everybody who's on the team has they're just so passionate about the topic that um, they've been just uh, volunteering their own time and resources but I realized in order to bring it to fruition um, and to really like recognize the, the the hours and and expertise that my team has given this would be to put it on, would be to raise some money for it. And um, so I went to crowdfunding because I wanted to raise money, but also because I wanted to integrate the audience into the production process as early as possible. Because really the whole point of a documentary like this is to to bring together different communities, to bring together the gaming community on the outside to come to the support of incarcerated gamers and to kind of give them somewhere to go when they're released. Because okay. uh, that's, you know, D&D was, is not just rehabilitative for people when they're inside, but then to be able to come out and sort of have already a network in place in the gaming community, to be able to go to a gaming store and just like sit down and and people are just going to appreciate your skill and your ingenuity and your creativity. And it doesn't matter kind of that you were incarcerated. It's, it's about like what you can bring to the table. Um, it's sort of like there's a, there's a value there in having some sort of structure and community when people are released that isn't like just with other people who have been incarcerated in the halfway house or something, but it's a way to reintegrate into society through doing some an activity and through playing through role playing through where people are going to judge you sort of not so much 
for your background, but based on like your character and what you're doing inside the game. And so, and I've seen that work through various reintegration programs that use Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, it's, it, it was really about bring sort of galvanizing the support of the community to um, get enthusiastic early on and then help just support the project and support the players and um, recognize sort of bring together the community of gamers um, wherever they are. Yeah. You know, whether it's behind bars or, or high school or whether, you know, they've been playing the same dungeon role playing game for 40 years or whatever it is. Um, You know, everybody's connected through this love of the game. Well, and I'm curious to get into the specifics of maybe some of the skills that it's really helped to teach some of the, the inmates who have been playing the game or former inmates who have been playing the game. And you touched on something that I, I thought would be a topic that we discuss is just in general how society deals with individuals that have committed crimes. And again, I, I can see it in my clinical work of working with individuals who are who have been in prison in the past for whatever reason and trying to find housing, trying to find a job. There's mm-hmm. a lot of obstacles to really doing some of the quote-unquote basic things that I think a lot of other individuals take for granted. And mm-hmm. so if the bar to have a quote-unquote normal lifestyle is that high then your options are limited and you might fall back into some other behaviors Mm -hmm. that got you in prison in the first place. So there's this, Mm -hmm. I think, revolving door situation that from the outside, people would say like, oh, those are quote unquote bad people. And Mm -hmm. if you look at it, you're maybe from a bigger perspective, you're like, wow, this is a really bad system. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's somewhere in the middle I don't know. Like, what what have you seen being really immersed in this topic? And certainly the D&D and gaming, but in general, uh, the criminal justice system, working with inmates who are both in prison and then maybe freshly or newly out of prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree absolutely with what your observations about the system. I know, you know, it's interesting People often think of uh, as reintegration almost being a problem for, well, how am I going to put this? There has been, okay, so especially in California, um, which is one of the most progressive states, there's been a lot of emphasis on programs and prison to rehabilitate people. Um, there's a lot of nonprofits doing work. There's San Quentin that's kind of leading the charge. The inmates um, can do theater programs. There's yoga for inmates, things like that. Um, but I found that um, people can be fully they'll, – they'll have support groups. They have all these resources in prison. And then once they're released, that is actually when the struggle begins. Yeah, because so a lot of the, that Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of it's it's great that there there's support in there, but it doesn't always carry over. It's sort of like the, all this everything is preparing you for life on the outside, but no amount of yoga classes can fully just and especially for people who have been in there for thirty or forty years, mm-hmm. um, prepare you to deal with the challenges of real life and then the social stigmas and all of that. And so I do feel like that's when people are most vulnerable. Um, and I've been studies have shown this: the farther you get away from your release date, the lower the rate of recidivism. Um, but the time that people is mo- 
are most vulnerable are the days and weeks right after they're released. So yeah, there's, so I've just, I've heard from so many people who have been through the process that all, you know, when they're incarcerated, it's just about like that date looms large in your mind, that the date that you're going to walk out those doors. You don't even think beyond that because that is what like your whole life has been leading up to at that point, the day you step over the threshold and then you step over the threshold and you realize, wait, I didn't even like now what, <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been waiting so long for this moment. I don't even know what happens next, <laughs> you know, and then, and then struggle. And then there's like a whole new battle that begins. And, and kind of as an aside, I guess one of the, my goals for this documentary is to tell that story as well about this trials and tribulations people face over the course of um, their incarceration and then release into the outside world um, and use that as a parallel for the game and the sort of the battles and the trials and tribulations faced by the characters of the game. And so that's, I've mentioned magical realism before, but that's kind of where it comes in. Right. It's like there's these two storylines going on. Um, there's the, the sort of fantasy, magical, real story of the game. And then there's the very grim real life story and they both involve fighting battles they both involve inner demons um it's just this sort of metaphor that operates throughout the um whole course of the story yeah and, and from working with individuals who have, have been involved in the criminal justice program or still are involved whether they're on probation uh some type of house arrest or halfway house and they're doing what they can to create a, a new life or get back to life, however you want to phrase that, it does seem, again, this is anecdotal evidence of just a few individuals I've kind of met with in my role. It is daunting. It is challenging. And I just, I just think about, you know, questions on a job application. So, you know, have mm -hmm. you, have you ever had a DUI? Have you ever uh, been convicted of a felony? And like, how many people are going to hire someone that check off? Yes. Like right. just all things being equal, you're probably not going to hire that individual. And there's a lot of, I think, general society who would almost agree with that. Like they don't want those individuals working for them or with them. So it creates this environment of like, well, okay, what, what do these individuals do? If they, mm -hmm. if they have served their time and gone through all the appropriate steps and hoops, what comes next? And mm -hmm. I think you listed this in the article. It was, you know, prison is both in some ways a punishment and this rehabilitation mm -hmm. device that doesn't seem to work very well. And again, how D&D comes into this is maybe this is one way for individuals to get some skills and to find a connection with something in the community. As you were talking about a few minutes ago, where they could go into a gaming store and say, hey, is there a D&D game I could join? And, mm -hmm. and there really might not be a lot of judgment. They could just show up, play a character, meet some people, maybe make some relationships that are meaningful and go from there. It's not going to solve all of life's problems, but it's it's one thing to tether someone to, hey, OK, maybe maybe I can get my feet on the ground. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A sense of community because people have been incarcerated for a long time. Often like their friends and family members have become distant and they don't have anyone to reach out to. And so to be able to connect with other people on the outside over some sort of structured activity is great. 
But, you know, in general, it's, I mean, it's not so, you know, it's not really that Dungeons and Dragons itself offers any sort of solution to this bigger social problem of what do people do when they're released. It's more that it sort of equips, better equips people who are about to be released to handle this, like, big social problem that we have. Because the effect on them are uh, is they're going to get dejected, they're going to get depressed, they're going to get discouraged. I mean, that's almost inevitable. And then potentially they're going to go commit more crimes. But with the skills that Dungeons and Dragons teaches, I think it makes them a little bit more equipped to deal with the emotional and very practical challenges uh, that they are um, about to face. And what type of anecdotes... I mean, you've been interviewing a lot of folks here for this already. What have they shared about that idea of like, the specific skills that it's taught them to help with that? There's so many. I mean, everything from just basic skills like arithmetic, because some of the, the guys, these guys got into prison, they didn't even finish high school, sometimes didn't even finish junior high math. Um, but then like the bigger ones, I would say two. One is cooperation. So it's Dungeons Dragons or RPGs. They're one of the few places in prison where people gather together to do something cooperatively, cooperatively instead of like antagonistically. I mean, most games that people would play there are you're playing against each other, but with D and D, you're actually bonding together to if you're going to fight something, fighting a common enemy, um, sure. or solving a problem together, or working towards a solution together. And if somebody in the party goes a wall then the that'll wipe the whole party you know so it's like an incentive for people to cooperate and to communicate okay so that's probably the biggest one is just cooperation and working through conflict together and decision making as a group things like that there's really i can't think of any other um, activities behind bars where people are encouraged to think that way um in california the stories i hear often about bridging racial gaps so California is one of the few states in the country where inmates are actually segregated by their race. Like when you are incarcerated in California or you write down the rate, your race that you self-identify with, and then you're grouped with other people of that race. And so Dungeons and Dragons table, um, and I've told this multiple different prisons in California, is one of the only places where inmates of different races and sometimes different gang affiliations sit down together to do something cooperatively. Um, And so that just preparing, preparing these people then to go out into the outside world and interact with a greater variety of different types of people Um, and just their comfort level and interacting with different types of people is really important. And then also the other thing I wanted to mention is just working through emotional issues and being able, being comfortable, feeling vulnerable. Um, That one has come up a lot through my interviews with Dungeons and Dragons players behind bars. It's um, just D and D is it's a safe place to express yourself, to be vulnerable because you're doing it through this sort of um, other. It's, it's 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 a little bit removed. It's through this character that you've created. Um, and you were so sharing one of the stories about I think it was the gentleman you mentioned before, Mel, where he was uh, creating. He created a, a female character. Uh-huh. While he was in prison, and maybe I got—I think I got his name right. Uh-huh. No, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he talks about you know the confidence he had to have to create and play a female character in a prison with other you know inmates. Uh, yeah. Which there's a lot going on with that interaction there. So. Uh huh. 
I think that kind of hits on some of the things that you're trying to mention there. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mel could not have just walked around the prison pretending to be a, pretending to be female. Never, never in a million years could you do that. But if you're sitting down and playing a game, it's okay because it's in within the structure of the game to talk in a high voice and to, you know, be silly, be silly and female. I mean, in, the, in his particular case, it was nothing about like exploring his sexuality or anything like that. It was more just about expressing himself in different ways um, and maybe being vulnerable. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how the game allows for that. And even the other inmates recognize that, oh, this is a game, so it's okay. We don't need to, like, it's, it, the, this isn't, like, something we need to confront as threatening, you know? Um, it's, it's just in the context of this uh, fantasy game. I just wanted to take a quick break to talk about a product that I'm very excited about and I hope you all check out. Are the dice trays available by Woodcraft by us? This is a company that is run by one of my fellow players in my Dungeons and Dragons games, and he and his father are creating handcrafted, uh, beautiful wooden dice trays. I've been able to uh, get in on the ground floor with these. I've uh, helped Kevin, the gentleman who is making these, uh, play test them, so to speak. Uh, we've been playing around with them during our games over the last few months, and he has kind of perfected his design along with his father. And the trays use exotic hardwoods uh, like Purple Heart and Black Walnut and are made with a top channel that is a great place to set dice that are not in play. I've been tweeting out some photos of these dice trays in action over the last few months during our gaming sessions, and people have been pretty excited about them, and now they are available for purchase. The bottom of the dice tray has a layer of cork to minimize dice bounce and can be topped with the felt color of your choice. Uh, that can all be customized on their website at woodcraftbyus.com. Once again, that's woodcraftbyus.com. Roll better, crit more, and visit woodcraftbyus.com. Something that strikes strikes me is a lot, kind of a joke for for D and D players that is a bit off color, is kind of talking about the that the players, for lack of a better word, are a bunch of murder hobos where they just travel around the adventure and try to get treasure and kill things, and it's not a game type that that people tend to enjoy. Like they tend to enjoy more of a story driven game where there's kind of good characters and it sounds like for the most part the you know prisoners who have been playing D&D gravitate towards the lawful good side of the alignment category mm -hmm. and it seems like I mean I got the sense and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong that some of the games in the prisons are kind of specifically designed with rules that if you do x y and z then you're kicked out of the game yeah I've definitely heard that um sometimes that there are sometimes are explicit rules um, about what you can and cannot do. Um, and I think that's partly because um, they don't want to attract negative attention from the correctional officers. Mm -hmm. If you have an inmate who wants to play chaotic evil and then is going to um, talk about things, talk about killing or massacre or appear to be hostile or aggressive, that's going to draw negative attention from the guards. So that's part of it. Part of it's just a very pragmatic concern. But then also uh, there's uh, inmates who 
don't have that sort of pragmatic worry have also told me, have observed, like, usually our players, like DMs have said, usually the players, they, they, and they want to play the good character. They want to play the paladin. And I think it's partly about playing out the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I, I buy that because, um, or playing out something that's different from yourself, maybe, or different from your self-image or, or something. Um, and I buy that in part because, like, when I play, I sometimes like to play chaotic, evil characters because it's just, I, it's so not who I am in real life. Like, right. it couldn't be more polar opposite, but what, it sort of makes it more intriguing in a sense. So yeah, it seems, there seems to be a disproportionate number of paladins in prison. Um, based on what the DMs have told me. And uh, and also that uh, there does seem to be a lot of more emphasis on role-playing and on world-building and all of that over, say, power gaming. Mm-hmm. And again, that's partly because they don't have dice, they don't have all the resources to really power game. Um, and also because it's, you know, it's the one creative outlet um, that they have. So... You know, you don't have all the opportunities you have on the outside to like, oh, I'm going to go paint. I'm going to go create a sculpture this day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go do that. They're incredibly limited in in the resources they have. And so creating these worlds becomes like an all consuming thing when, you know, during the days when the non-D&D days, it's what they describe thinking about and coming up with the plots that their characters are going to play or developing the characters. Um, It becomes... Uh, I mean, like Mel even talked about in solitary confinement, that's all he thought about was the game and like the next Sega, um, the next development in the game. Um, and you so it becomes this, more creative. Yeah, yeah. You touched on this a few times and I definitely wanted to mention it. So in the, in the article and in the 10 minute documentary, it's, you know, it's not like you have access to all the books or you can go yeah. online and get new rules. It's, it's a lot <laughs> of handwritten notes, dice that are, really creative with whether it's a spinner type of thing where you write numbers Mm -hmm. on a one cardboard piece and spin something around whatever number it lands on. Or I think I read something about uh, inmates making like crunching up, smushing bread and then carving (laughs) numbers into stale bread and making dice Uh that way. So all the creative efforts to even play the game, <laughs> yeah. Really seems like, again, uh, being someone who hasn't been in prison before, you just stuff you take for granted. I mean, people, again, a gamer joke is like, how many sets of die do you need? You keep buying new, more and more dice. These, <laughs> these individuals don't have any. And, right. and they're doing their best to play the game because it's important to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is just really fascinating. They seem to be very committed to, to that. Right, yeah, and, and it's it's funny. It makes you realize all the excuses we make. Oh, I didn't bring my dice with me. I can't play. Or oh, I forgot the monster manual at home. Or whatever. <laughs> right. It doesn't. That's they would just create it, or or work around it. Because again, it's more it's more about the stories and the interactions than it is about having like the perfect set of equipment. I wonder, as you've been telling people in your circles and beyond that, that you've been working on this, what, what's been the most surprising piece of feedback that you've gotten? Um, oh, that's a good question. You know, I think, I don't know that there's one surprising piece of feedback, but one thing that has surprised me is how my, the feedback differs depending on 
where people are in the country um, hmm. and sort of what they're related and, and they're also their age, their demographic. Okay. So for instance, um, in San, I'm from San Francisco and um, I'm based in San Francisco and this is where um, also the, the documentary production is taking place. People tend to be very progressive. Um, and also it's a very young crowd in general and, they're just wildly enthusiastic about it. And this is, oh, this is so cool. This is hip. This is this neat, weird thing that people are doing. But other, other, when I, um, like Hawk, for instance, our advisor was at Gen Con, um, which is in Indiana. And, um, also just talking to other people in different parts of the country, I realize other places, there's still a lot of, um, carryover from some of the, the backlash against Dungeons and Dragons from the 1980s and 1990s. It was a book that was written by a woman named Patricia Pullian called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, um, where Dungeons and Dragons was, um, it was about how it like caused teen suicides and homicides and made people more aggressive. And, um, I mean, you hear similar critiques of video games nowadays. Um, yes, very but, but Dungeons yeah. and Dragons was very much like under the spotlight at the time. And that's unfortunately when a lot of the prison rules and regulations were written as well. And so a lot of prisons will explicitly ban Dungeons and Dragons by name in the rules. I mean, they'll you know, no poker, no uh, gambling and no Dungeons and Dragons. And so I do still, and I'm always surprised when it happens again, because I'm in this little bubble of progressive bubble of San Francisco, but talking to people, um, other parts of countries, they know, doesn't, but doesn't D&D make them more aggressive or, uh, you know, isn't it, isn't D&D part of the problem in the first place? And I realize that that's still very much um, in the minds of many people. And I think that makes the documentary all the more important because research has shown not just with prison populations, but with populations in general, that role playing can be a really, really healthy way of um, being able to explore emotion and sometimes even explore aggression, but like in a safe environment within the structure of the game so that you become better equipped to deal with it when it happens organically, you know, in real life. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot there. So I, I think it does. You talked about kind of this progressive bubble you might be in in San Francisco and other parts of the country that are maybe more conservative or traditional, however you want to phrase it. And I imagine it, get, it touches on just this general idea of what what we think about in terms of criminals or inmates or prisoners, mm -hmm. which, and I've always just thought of this again with kind of my background as, as a survivor of a violent crime, you know, with my father being killed in a line of duty, like he was, up, he was executing a drug raid on a meth lab back in the eighties. Mm. And it took me a long time to watch breaking bad because I knew what it was about. And mm. I and I knew the central character was this, you know, Caucasian guy who was a meth dealer, and that's who murdered my father. And I'm like, mm -hmm. there's a mental hurdle for me to be able to watch this show that I'm just I'm not going to make right now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't watch it until after it ended because so many people told me it was good, and it is a good show. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. it's an excellent show, and I'm glad that I watched it. Uh -huh. um, but like Walter White, Tony Soprano. The Godfather, Goodfellas, it's like all these characters in popular culture that are damn near celebrated by, yeah. by the masses, these mm -hmm. individuals who commit violent crimes that people wear T-shirts about them and 
or bumper stickers. And at the same time, the way I think we think of violent offenders in prison is completely different. The level of grace or concern or perspective taking about those individuals is not there. And I've Mm -hmm. always found that, I want to say hypocritical, but just sort of fascinating in a dark way. I just, it doesn't add up to me. I I don't know why that happens. And I'm wondering from your perspective, if you have any insight for me. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, when you're talking about the romanticization of these criminal criminals, it's sort of, in a sense, been part of America's culture and legacy from the beginning. This is the outlaw has always been this archetype. Yeah. And so we romanticize it in some ways, but yeah, it's um, it's very different when it's uh, not a story, when it's reality. Um, it always becomes not in my backyard. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, there's some program for it. I always think of George Carlin, who <laughs> uh, he has a whole routine, stand-up routine about the not in my backyard phenomenon, but it just seems so accurate. Like, if if you want to have some kind of social justice program, like, oh, great, but not here. Right. And yeah. If, and if everyone thinks that, then, well, where do these individuals go? And it sort of brings it full circle to that conversation. Yeah, it's actually, as you describe it, it's just we're sort of in this unhealthy bipolarity. Either it's romanticized or we there's no respect and, you know, no support at all. And neither neither position is really a healthy pro-social one. Yeah, which I imagine in, in talking about this and, you know, pitching it to people and you were talking about trying to get it off the ground with different networks and such, mm-hmm. um, like people seem to like the idea, but wanted to put another spin on it or make it about something else. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think especially with the with the Hollywood networks, what they want to make it about is just not Dungeons and Dragons because <laughs> they don't know what it is and they're they don't they just, they think of it as very niche. Yeah, there's a there is a certain amount depending on the the exact station I I go to. It's either about like, oh, uh, these are the the world's worst worst most hardened criminals, and like you know, doing the this ridiculous thing, um, or it's like, you know, oh, look at these guys, they're so amazing, they're carrying the the torch of Dungeons and Dragons behind bars. Let's like you know, I'll come and, and support them. So yeah, it is, there is like definitely, it is divisive in that way. And I get both of those. Yeah. And like I said, I, I appreciate your willingness to, to talk about this, th- these mm-hmm. topics, because there's something I was thoughtful about ahead of time. And I, I tend to think about things in a lot of different perspectives of, well, let's say the person who had murdered my father like mm-hmm. served served time and then got out of jail like decades later and was part of this documentary on some type of rehabilitation effort. Like, would I be okay with that? Like, how would I feel about that? Mm-hmm. So even thinking about some of the gentlemen that you're profiling in this documentary, I, I imagine there's survivors of whatever happened who may have mixed feelings or very explicit feelings about, about this. So I, I realize it can be a divisive topic, and I wanted, mm-hmm. wanted to approach it from a, a place of thoughtfulness and not <laughs> yelling and screaming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I actually have one question about that. So just um, in this thought experiment, what bothers – what would potentially bother you more, the idea that of that person spending their time in incarcerated time – 
playing this game that's fantasy escapism or just the idea that they're being featured um, in a documentary where what they're doing is being sort of applauded. What, which of those is more I, difficult? It's, it's honestly something I haven't really thought of. Tom, I mean, I was just saying, I was thinking about it once it came up mm. for us to possibly be talking about, you know, the, the person that killed my father had died in prison, I think of health issues years later. But if that individual is still alive and if they were playing D and D, I guess I wouldn't even wouldn't bother me too much. I think it's mm-hmm. the I think it's the attention of being featured in a documentary mm. of like in a positive light. I think that would be a challenge. Potentially. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I've never I haven't been in that reality. But I could only imagine that if person X did something against person Y and then person Y is still around and person X is kind of getting a second chance or living their life. That must mm-hmm. feel, must feel challenging, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the other side of the victim's rights coins or survivor's right uh, side of the equation. And I don't have the right answer. <laughs> I don't. Mm-hmm. I, again, because I've worked, I've worked from the other side of trying to help individuals who have, you know, made a choice earlier in life and have, you know, justified to me what happened and why it happened and why they're doing things differently now that Mm -hmm. what are they supposed to do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I guess it's, it gets into that icky feeling of, well, well, something has to happen. Either we Mm -hmm. have to give individuals a chance to, to live a productive life or we don't. And, mm-hmm. and both of those things have potential benefits and potential consequences. And it mm-hmm. seems like we're all in that middle ground of like, eh, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is not productive. Yeah. And actually talking to you has made me start to think, you know, for most of my discovery shows, for all of the discovery shows, we always interview law enforcement victims. And then if possible, if they're accessible, the perpetrator. Um, but we would never actually do a show without the consent of the victim victims or the victim's family for this documentary it isn't and those documentaries are normally about the crime themselves right so we're normally recounting the story of how the crime happened for in this case everybody featured in the documentary committed crimes back in the 70s or 80s um and they've been some of them are given life most of them are given life sentences and many of them were paroled based on good behavior um, after 30 plus years of rehabilitation um, and are now fully reintegrated functioning members of society. And the story of the documentary is kind of starts with the gaming Mm -hmm. um, and it's more of the story of the game as it is necessarily the story of the individuals. Although obviously like some people are going to be featured and also the story of the lawsuits um, for sort of following the trajectory of the lawsuits. But it does actually, you know, this conversation with you is, is making me realize that that perspective is going to be important as well, even here where it's not about the crime. It's still important. And um, to try to interview or talk to people, if not friends and family members of the crimes committed by the people in the documentary, but or but just people in general that can offer that kind of perspective would be really interesting. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons when I saw this Kickstarter campaign, it, it fascinates me on multiple levels. 
one, I'm a big gamer and play D and D hopefully twice a month if I'm lucky <laughs> with, <laughs> with different commitments. And then being on both sides of the kind of criminal justice system of, you know, having that experience when I was a child and sort of growing up in, in a lot of ways in a law enforcement community. And then, you know, my clinical work, I've seen the other side of the spectrum of working with individuals who have you know, committed a crime or multiple crimes, and now they're attempting to do what they can to not return to jail, to not return to prison, and seeing, seeing the difficulties that they have. So this documentary touches on a lot of things that I think are really important that I don't think people think too much about because it's like, Oh, the bad guys, they go to prison and then they stay there. Or if they come, right. if they come out, then well, I don't have to deal with them. And right. I think there's a lot of these just general thoughts that people maybe hold that are safe and comfortable that are not accurate. And mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think it's very, it's too easy to just have inaccurate and safe information right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a good thing. Right. Uh, so I, I felt like trying to have a conversation where we talk about some of these issues would be, would be helpful. And, mm-hmm. and I hope people listening are able to think about things in a new way or maybe ask some questions or further this discussion going forward. If, if folks are curious, how can they contact you if they have ideas or thoughts or stories that they wanted to share with you? That's a great question. And so I definitely encourage it. Well, um, on the website, rpgdoc.com, there is a place, there's like a contact submission form. And so I definitely encourage people, if you have any concerns, if you have any questions about the documentary to reach out there. But also I like, um, you know, I'm a storyteller and I like collecting stories. And I've probably got a hundred stories or so right now of people who have played um, Dungeons and Dragons behind bars, but I'm still getting new stories or hearing um, Excellent. things I'd never heard before, new perspectives. I mean, it's been amazing actually how many correctional officers have written out, written to me and said, you know, um, and, and shared their observations. That's so, so important too, because it's one thing for a bunch of inmates to say, oh yeah, this game is super positive. It's helping us. Well, it's not that I don't believe them, but it's, you know, as I sort of need to do due diligence as well. Right. Um, and when you also have correctional officers saying, no, the guys that, who are playing Dungeons and Dragons, they never cause us any problems or, or correctional officers saying it's the only table in the prison yard where these inmates who are black and white um, and Hispanic inmates are all playing together and they never seem to have conflict. It's so interesting. Those those perspectives and stories are so incredibly equally valid valuable, interesting as an inmate's perspective. And I certainly tend to include them in the documentary. And what I say to everybody is like, just send your story because you never know, like it might end up being something where I want to come interview you and we, and we can somehow incorporate it. Um, but at the very least, it just gives me better equips me with, uh, um, to tell the story. Um, and certainly, I mean, the other thing too, is like, I always want people to change my mind about things. So like, just because maybe, maybe somebody has a story about playing D and D in prison that isn't, doesn't sort of support the, um, the, the overall angle of the film. Maybe it was not 
productive or constructive for them. Well, I want to hear that too, because I want to hear the breadth of experiences and not just the ones that kind of fit my, um, suit my expectations or, um, or what people think are my expectations. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fantastic question. I love, I love hearing your stories and I definitely encourage people to, to reach out. And again, it's RPG doc or RPG documentary.com. Um, we actually have both those domains. That's great. Yeah. And I've always, I've always said that D and D tabletop role-playing games, it's when you take away all the rules and stuff, it's just a group of people sitting around a table talking to each other. So, yeah. and building a story together so that level of collaboration of creativity and some other skills like frustration tolerance and other things that come up <laughs> along yeah. the way are are really i think effective to teach some skills and i wonder if there's any therapists out there who are using this approach because I, I know i've talked to others who are using it with uh, young adults, uh, individuals on the autism spectrum. I wonder if there's any therapist using this in prisons, which would be fascinating to talk to them if, if that exists out there. I only heard one such story, and that was from somebody who um, said that when they were in college, there was a program where some of the college, maybe it was high school, but I think it was college, program where some of the college students would go into prison and then run games with the inmates as part of rehabilitation, but it was actually surprisingly something that was happened in the 80s, Okay. Um, I think in Pennsylvania, and I asked if the program was still around. He said, I don't think so. It was so long ago. But that was the only time I, I heard that, but certainly, I think that would be absolutely wonderful, because Obviously, this is this is productive and um, and constructive when it happens organically. But think about how much more constructive it could be if there was somebody there who was moderating it, who had a therapeutic background and could help guide the gameplay um, to sort of encourage this more cathartic exploration of trauma and um, difficult emotion and all of that. I think that it could become a real therapy. It is a therapeutic tool, but an even more effective one if it was more formalized. Well, it's a fascinating topic, and I, I really hope the Kickstarter gets gets off the ground, gets funded. Uh, what are some of the, the perks that people can get if they support you on Kickstarter? Yeah, I, I gave up that a lot of thought because I wanted to have some perks that were unique um, to this project. And so one of them is um, owning a module created by an incarcerated gamer. Okay. And so that's uh, because um, uh, I know a gaming group um, in one of the facilities that we've actually been following for a while. And they, um, one of the guys in the gaming group is on the cusp of being released. And he wants to, um, this is something he really wants to do when he gets out, is to continue developing uh, his skills, uh, creating games. And also, um, it's just like, it's amazing to see so much creativity and then... Um, to be able to share that with our supporters as well. Um, so that's one. Another is to um, have yourself featured or, or somebody you choose featured as an NPC on an on-camera game. Okay. Um, so it could be a good gift for a friend or a family member. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can uh, give us a name, um, give us some, maybe some feature, physical features or characteristics or a few sort of basic stats for your, um, for your NPC and we'll integrate them into the gameplay and make sure that that, you know, a little bit of that footage, um, makes it, uh, to the final documentary. Um, so yeah, again, these are, these are ways to try to integrate the audience again into the, um, to connect the incarcerating gaming community with people on the outside and, uh, get people involved early on. And of course we have all the regular documentary rewards 
it's like to do a chance to do an AMA with the filmmakers or to um, attend various things or to come play a, a game with a uh, a group of recently released inmates um, here in San Francisco and sort of uh, and get to ask questions, of course, about their experience playing behind bars. So, yeah, again, it's all about um, connecting people and giving our audience access to these stories themselves because um, it's, you know, that's ultimately also part of rehabilitation is making people feel like they're part of a broader community. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time and letting me ask you anything here this evening. I appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck uh, making this project happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And yeah, just, um, you know, come check out our Kickstarter, uh, spread the word. Um, we've got about eight days left to go. And, uh, you know, our group is largely, um, our team is largely people who are recently incarcerated. So our social media footprint is fairly low. Um, and so anything you could do to help spread it, sharing it on Twitter, sharing it with your Facebook friends, your Dungeons and Dragons gaming group um, would be absolutely fantastic. Excellent. Well, we'll do that. And um, if people have questions, they can reach out to you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you.